From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Saturday, September 26, 2020. Uh, my pleasure to welcome back Danny Flecka in his weekly spot to Teeing It Up. Good afternoon, sir. How's it going, my man? I am good. Nice to talk to you today. So, we, uh, and, and we're recording this on Saturday, um... I'm not sure how many of you will listen on Saturday versus Sunday. The SEC is back. Uh, we're going to get the Big Ten back um, in a couple of weeks. We're going to get the Pac-12 back early November. We're going to get Mountain West back, and apparently we're going to get the MAC back. Uh, it's been reported today. So if you're the college football playoff committee, how do you write the difference of some teams playing 10-11 games, and in the case of the Pac-12, assuming every school does their responsibility and every game gets to be played, they're only playing seven. How do you equate those two uh, scenarios? It, it's tough, right, because a lot of it's done by, like, conversation and, you know, comparing schedules and best wins and, you know, cross-conference games, and we're not having that this year. So I think, you know, from from their perspective, you know, I think the best logical way to approach it would be based off the schedule that the teams have played, who has played the best schedule within their conference, and, you know, has that team won the conference championship. I think any one-loss team this year needs to probably be eliminated from conversation. I think that that would just complicate things too much. Unless you know, that one-loss team wins the conference championship, and then you can have that discussion. But I think, you know, unlike we've seen in past years where a one-loss, you know, SEC team or a one-loss, you know, Oklahoma team has been able into the college playoff, I think this year that's going to be really, really tough, especially if you're playing a non-conference slate. I mean, I'm sorry, a conference slate that might be weaker than in years past, um, whatever it may be. Um, I think you have to, to weigh, you know, the teams that have the best conference schedule, the teams that have won the conference championship game, and then go from there. Um, it's going to be an inexact science this year, and like every single year there's going to be discussion about teams that have missed out. But if you're the Big Ten and you're the Pac-12 and you want that opportunity to play in that college football championship game, and you don't get there, you know, the, the one place you have to look is at your commissioner who, who fumbled this entire process from the very beginning that caused you to miss out on some games that have increased your strength of schedule or exposure, you know, in the college football landscape. So, you know, I understand why they could be upset or, or mad for not having the same opportunity or the same number of games, but you have no one to blame but the people that run your conference. Is whoever wins the college football playoff going to have an asterisk next to it because of 2020? You know, you can say that about any league that's been going on this year. Um, you know, maybe not for the NFL because we look like we're getting a full schedule from them. But again, there's some questions there about the competitive advantage that some teams have with fans and everything else. But yeah, you could put one there. Am I going to necessarily think that's going to be the case? I don't think so, because I think at the end of the day, we'll see the four best teams there. Um, you know, I does think that we're not going to that those cross-conference games. You know, there were some big ones on the slate this year, LSU at Texas, Oregon versus Ohio State. 
they could have swung the, the college football, you know, landscape in some way, shape, or form. But I think at the end, you know, with like the teams that are playing, we're probably going to see the same teams there, like the Ohio State, the Alabama, the Clemson, maybe the Oklahoma, maybe an Oklahoma team, maybe Georgia, depending on how that shakes out. But I think, you know, we're going to see the same teams there that are going to be there regardless of what happened this year. Daniel Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, what has been your observations of the NFL watching experience uh, through these first two weeks plus Thursday night? Joe Buck said on a podcast Thursday they thought that the audio issues were fixed, uh, were, sorry, were better in week two because the league gave the networks more control versus in week one where it was league control and you had different volumes and different networks. How has the viewing experience been so far for you, NFL-wise? It's been it's been what it is. You know, again, from just a purely you know visual perspective, if you're just looking at what you're watching, which is the game, the game isn't any different than what it would have been like last year, the year before. You know, the the, the play, the players, like that stuff is is, is there. The stuff that's not there this year, or you know. It's a crowd, and it's like that extra ambiance, the extra atmosphere that you would get from a game. So that is what's made the viewing experience, I think, a little bit different, you know, from everybody's perspective. I, I still, I said it before, I'll say it again, you know, these teams, especially in football, have that opportunity where they have built-in you know, like workflows that would allow them to have fans in the stands. And, you know, you get such a different feeling when you watch these games with even minimal fans there, you know. And I go back to that Thursday night game with KC. The other night in Jacksonville, there were some fans there as well. You know, just having that little bit of of crowd noise that's actually real and not generated does make a difference. But... You know, I, I just don't know where we are with that, if we're going to see that at all this year elsewhere. But as long as they're playing, I'm not going to complain because at the end of the day, that's what I want to see. I want to see the game, and if there are no fans, there are no fans. One thing that has not changed is that the Jets are awful. Uh, they are down so many wide receivers that Adam Gase uh, said this week, uh, believed to be jokingly, but who knows, maybe it's seriously, that they'll suit up anybody who has a pulse in the wide receiver um, slot this week. Um, do you believe he's on the hot seat and he's out if this thing continues to go the direction that it's going? Yeah, I think, I thought from the beginning he was a terrible hire. Uh, I think last year he didn't do much to really install a lot of faith, I think, in the fan base or I think in ownership. Even... The year that we've had, the Jets are actually probably better off not having, and, you know, potentially, you know, waiting another year. But if you end up with a top five pick, potentially top two, Fields and Trevor Lawrence there, uh, this is not the GM's coach. You know, he's brand new. He did not hire them. They have a big decision on Donald coming up, too. Do you want to... You know, hire a coach that's going to get the bet of Sam Darnold, or do you think you hire a coach that could work with a potential top two QB pick that they might have, and then Darnold is maybe traded away for, for whatever they can get for him? I, I do think that Gates is not going to be the coach in 2021. I don't think that's a hot take or anything like that. I think it's pretty obvious. 
I don't think teams respond to him. I don't think players respond to him. I don't think he's flexible in the way he adjusts during games. Uh, I don't think he has really, uh, you know, built a staff around around him that was going to get the best of his players. And it's not a surprise because he wasn't anything special in Miami either. So I do think he's on the hot seat. I don't know if they'll fire him throughout in the season, but I, I honestly don't think he's there past whatever, January 1st or 2nd. It's only two games, three if if you are the Dolphins uh, and the Jaguars, but who has surprised you thus far and who has disappointed you thus far? So I think a couple of surprises just in the sense that, you know, I didn't see this coming right away, but I think Arizona's looked pretty good so far. Tyler Murray looks a lot more comfortable this year, and it does help when you add the mix. Uh, you know, Arizona's defense is going to have to keep them in game. You know, I know Kingsbury's okay playing shootouts, but you'd like to see your defense be able to take over some games every once in a while, and that is going to be a tough decision because, as we've seen some other uh, surprises this year, the Rams look, look good, um, and they look like they're back offensively to where they were a couple of years ago. So the NFC West is going to be a tough, tough division this year for Good teams top to bottom, despite the injuries in San Francisco, you know, that, that team is well coached, um, and, and they have some depth once they get their get their players back. You know, I know they're not going to get Bosa and Thomas back this year, but, um, you know, they have a guy like Deep Ford that hasn't played yet this year. Debo Samuel hasn't played yet this year, so they have some depth there that I think is going to come back and help them out. Uh, I think Green Bay looked great, too. I know they beat the Vikings and the Lions, who have been two of the worst teams this year. But I think the way Aaron Rodgers is playing, um, you know, uh, it's going to be tough for Green Bay not to win that division and be a factor again in the NFC. I know people thought they were going to regress a little bit this year from a win total perspective. But, you know, what we've seen out of Minnesota and what we've seen out of Detroit so far, uh, you know, I'm not a big believer in Chicago, but, you know, it, it, it looks like, Green Bay division to win, you know, so I'm, I'm really, you know, going to be watching them and how Rodgers plays, and I think I've also been really surprised by, like, the way Cam Newton's been playing in New England. Uh, first game was what it was, he played a pretty bad Dolphins team, but I think the way that they played in Seattle, the way Cam threw the ball and ran the ball, the way they stuck in that, the way they had, you know, the opportunity at the end to win the game, um, I think New England, a lot of people were writing off to this year, but I think that they're going to be in there as well. What's up with the um, Eagles? And do you believe Carson Wentz is their quarterback of the future? He's being paid like one, that's for sure. Um, but I think the Eagles, I think they did a lot of great stuff early on with Rosen getting back and building that team up. But we're starting to see a little bit of deterioration just with their roster and a sense of, of age and maybe just, you know, bad luck. I mean, their entire wide receiving court is injured. You know, they didn't have any offensive line against Washington. Their defense, you know, lost some playmakers and hasn't really seen their high draft picks that have been drafted, you know, on defense pan out. I think the luster has worn off a little bit and maybe the league has caught up a bit with them. But I think from an injury standpoint, it's really tough when you don't have your top wide receivers, your top running back, your top, you know, offensive linemen in the game. 
to be competitive. Hunter Wentz, you know, I've always felt like he has been good enough for that team. I just don't feel like he understands what his role is necessarily. And I think a lot of that could do with, like, the, the injuries they've He's, you know, Superman this week, or do you have to hold up to the ball if you don't trust your receiver's going to get wide open or whatever it is? I think we've seen some of that stuff start to take away from Wentz's natural ability, and it shows, you know, if you're holding on to the ball too long, they're going to get hit more. If you're throwing the wide receivers that you aren't on the same page with, you're going to get intercepted. So it'd be nice to see him have, you know, Alshon Jeffrey back and Jalen Rager back, once he, you know, after he gets off the IR. But I, I think the Eagles are behind the eight ball this year, unfortunately, and you know it's going to be tough for them to come back. Um, you're somebody who has played sports competitively. You've gotten hurt. You've played on different grasses, whether it's soccer, football, lacrosse. Why all the injuries in week two? Why is 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 it just pot luck? Is it turf? Is it? Uh, Training, what's your theory on why we saw so many injuries and so many significant injuries in week two? I honestly don't know. And I mean, the, the one surface that always scared me playing was like that old synthetic AstroTurf. That was the one surface that always was just like terrifying to play on. Um, but I, I honestly think it's just, it's just the way football is played. You know, it's a hard-hitting sport. Players are running sometimes faster than their body can handle. Um, they make cuts on a dime, you know, and it's just basic physics, you know, just the way that their bodies are lined up, the angles of their of their knee maybe when they plant, the force that someone's putting on them when they're on that angle. You can say it's turf, you can say it's whatever, but, you know, it's just it, – it's they're doing a lot of stuff that is not natural for the body to be doing, and when that happens – there are injuries, and unfortunately, a lot of these injuries end up being season-ending injuries, career-altering injuries, and, you know, we lose some of the best players in the league, which stinks. But, you know, I just don't know how else you play that game without potentially understanding that this is an aspect going to be part of the game every single year, every single week, every single game. So, you know, what... I don't know any exercises that can make your ACL stronger or your MCL stronger or anything like that. And unless we figure out a way to do that, then, you know, we're going to have to deal with this stuff. I think the last thing I'm going to do is say that the turf has done it because, again, I just think every single week we're going to see certain plays where players get injured and be like, that could happen any week to anybody at any time. I've been asking this of recent guests on the pod, um, Danny, who fall into this category of being gigantic sports fans and yesterday Alyssa Rose and I were talking about going back and forth between Mets games and then Islander playoff games and the stress of playoff hockey versus the uh, longer slower and then suddenly something happens nature of baseball um, what has been your sports diet day to day night to night during this run the last month and a half you know six seven eight nine weeks where we've had almost everything happen, and then, oh, by the way, football comes back on top of it. Yeah, so I think it's been, you know, it started off heavy, obviously, you were starved for the content and, like, for the game. 
watching some baseball, watching some hockey, watching some basketball, watching some soccer. Um, and then things start, started to get, I think, a little more specialized with, like, my viewing, at least from my perspective. I, you know, I could care less about teams that aren't in it that I'm rooting for. Uh, you know, unfortunately, this is the way it is. And, and especially, you know, I love playoff hockey, but when playoff hockey is on in a normal time of year, it's on by itself. I'm not really worried about what else is going on in the sports world at that time. Same with playoff basketball. So I've, I've tended to just watch the teams that are maybe local to my area that are still in it. Um, and then also, you know, watching the football games. And I think from at least my perspective, now I've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I kind of want to get back to as much of a normal life as I have. And, you know, whether that is doing something at night or, or you know, playing in a real sport, whatever it is, I've kind of dialed back a bit on the sports viewing. So, like, right now, you know, I'm watching the Celtics because they're still in it. Um, flip it you know, I'll start watching the playoff, the baseball playoffs once they start because the Yanks will be in it. And then, obviously, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays watching, you know, whatever games that are on. But I, I've sort of dialed back from Monday to Friday watching something every single night. What a third quarter from the Celtics last night. That's one way to stave off elimination. Drop 41 points and have... Tatum scores 17 and just take over that game. And he and Jalen Brown are so good on the perimeter. And Tice is so good rebounding inside, what it, uh, you know, posting up, put back shots, second chance opportunities. That's That team, when they're offensively clicking, it just makes everything work. And they sure did that in the third quarter last night. Yeah, that was a tough game to start off watching. You know, the first half was tough for them. They looked disinterested. They looked, you know, unorganized on the defensive end and offensively as well. They just looked like they didn't want to be there anymore. Um, and, you know, there obviously had some reports coming out last week about the way that team feels about each other. Um, so I was not surprised that after a demoralizing loss the other night that maybe Friday would have been the last game for them. Um Give them credit, though. You know, one of the knocks on them from a lot of leaked sources that, you know, that have been reported on by, you know, a lot of the insiders has been that that team can't handle adversity. They're soft. They're front runners. And last night, in the second half, they were the opposite. I thought their adjustments on the defensive end really led to what they did offensively yesterday. They were much more aggressive in the second half. They were not allowing, you know, the Heat to get good looks from three. Um, they were getting out in the transition, not allowing Miami to, to set up a zone or to clog the lane. Um, and then once they started hitting outside shots, you know, with Kemba, Jalen Brown, and Tatum, it opened up some things inside for them and, and some, you know, dribble drives. So it's a simple formula, right? Play hard defensively, rebound, get out in transition and make open shots. They did that in the second half, and, you know, they got to hope that they can keep going with the style of play they had yesterday because I know Miami's been good. Um, you know, they are a five seed for a reason. The Celtics have much more talent than them. And if the Celtics can have, you know, that sort of downhill mentality like they did last night, attacking the hoop, getting in the penalty. Like, I think they got in the penalty in the third quarter with, like, eight minutes left. It's such an advantage for a team, especially when they were coming from behind. You know, the score with the clock stopped and they get put people in foul trouble. So if they play downhill like they did last night and, and hit those open shots, I think that they're going to have a great chance to, you know, send it to a game seven. Um, but, you know, first they got to take care of business on Sunday. That they do. All right. Um, 
Can I, can, is there any kind of enticement to watch the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship on the PGA Tour when I tell you that Hudson Swafford has a two-shot lead over Honor Bond Lahiri, Rain Gibson, and Nate Lashley, along with Sean O'Hare, Luke List, and Justin Suh? That sounds like a made-up tournament, so I'm going to refrain from having any interest in that. <laughs> no, it's a real thing, and it's on the NBC television network at 3 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. Um, this was supposed to be Ryder Cup weekend, so this is what we get instead in the golf world. All right, football, a quick fantasy betting uh, question uh, thing for me, and then we'll do this more full-fledged as the week's gone on, but I want to... I, I wanted to give Danny an opportunity to look at everything just in totality since it's been a couple weeks since he's been on the show. Why are the Falcons three-point favorites as an 0-2 team at home against the Bears when the Bears are 2-0? and Is this a lack of trust by Vegas of Mitchell Trubisky? I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, Atlanta, um, you know, put up some good – Put up a good performance last week, and then unfortunately, you know, did not do the small things that would allow them to win the game. Um, you know, they they did, you know, they did a bad job of closing out the Cowboys um, and the Bears. I think this line is, is probably where it needs to be, to be honest, because the Bears came back in one week one, um, and then last week they were five and a half point favorites and. You know, came out strong, but then Mitchell faded, and they got very lucky on a third down pass that, like, ricocheted off a player's helmet or something and then fell into the offensive lineman's lap on a third down. But I think this line is, is right. Three points is home field. Even though we're not having home field this year, really, I think three points is about right of uh, where this game needs to be. I, I just think, you know, when you look at it from, from a perspective of, of gambling, if, if Atlanta jumps out to a lead again, is Mitchell as likely to come back as he was against the Lions? And the answer is probably no, just because he's just not that type of quarterback, and Chicago's not built that way. So I think that's why we're seeing the line at three. I think it's, it's where it needs to be, to be honest. Um. The Colts are eleven and a half point favorites against the Jets. That that seems low to me. I I and this is a, as a Jet fan. I'm just pessimistic. I would I would uh, go with the uh, Colts there. I just think this is a blowout waiting to happen. Yeah, I think eleven points is, is also just about right. The Colts um, again, they blew a big. They didn't win Week One. They won last week against a, you know a bad Vikings team. And I think that this is where the line needs to be. 11 points is a lot in football, even if the Jets are, are, are not good. Um, but I think we're in, in a good – like, that's a, a line that I would take on if I was betting. I, I'd take 11 points, I think anything higher. Um, you just open yourself up to, like, a backdoor cover or, you know, if the Jets keep it tight, with a, there's no chance the Colts can cover that, you know, 14 points or so. And final question on this podcast, we have what ESPN is calling MVP Monday between Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, Chiefs, Ravens. The over-under is 54.5. That seems low to me. I see this as a shootout. Do you see any way that this is more of a defensive battle that I'm just not seeing? Unless it starts like monsooning on Monday, I think it's going to be a pretty fast-paced game. Um, you know, 
the, the reason why I think it's it's that number is because of the way the Ravens control the clock, um, and that their defense is capable of making some stops. They have played the Chiefs tough the last two times they played with Mahomes at QB. So I think that that number 54, you know, is is where I think oddsmakers are seeing you know the game flow potentially going. I just know. From my perspective, I think it is going to be a very fast-paced game. I think the Ravens are going to have to have some quick strike drives if they want to win this game. Um, obviously, I think it comes down to whatever defense can make a defensive stop and which one maybe can create a turnover. I'm loving the Chiefs in this spot, three-point dogs, three-and-a-half in some spots. Um, and you know what? If you can take Mahomes at that number, uh, you got to take him. And I know the Ravens have been good. Lamar Jackson has been good. But I, I'll always, you know, people might might fight me on this or, or have a different take, but Mahomes is a better quarterback in this game, period. And I'll always back the better quarterback, especially if I'm, if I'm being given points. And that's what I am in this situation. So I do like the Chiefs on Monday night. Anything else before we close this thing out? Um, not really. We'll see how today goes, right? Uh, big, big game college football with the SEC back. You know, I know everybody's been waiting for it, so um, we'll see how this week goes. Obviously, the games are being played that are being played today, but we'll see what happens after the games and, and the testing and everything else like that. But, um, you know, excited to have a, a somewhat full slate of college football this weekend. That is Danny Flecka, uh, as usual, on teeing it up. Danny, thank you very much, sir. No problem, my man. Have a great night. You got it. Same to you, and enjoy your weekend, everybody.